And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm down to dunk. And I'm down to dunk. I'm down to dunk. This is J Dub, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Shaco Alexander, and I'm down to dunk. This is Lindy Waters, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala, and I'm down to dunk. This is Jay Will, and I'm down to dunk. This is Kenneth Williams, and I'm down to dunk. This is Lou Dort, and I'm down to dunk. We say this is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> this is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me, as always, on Wednesdays, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, oh, what's up? What's up, Andrew? Got the NBA Finals uh, going on. Are you who? Who are you a believer in right now? Denver. You think Miami can actually do this? Quick thoughts. Well, Game Two really got me excited. Yeah. Because you know when people always compare the NBA to other sports, um, specifically NFL, um, there's so much more randomness in the NFL, or at least perceived randomness, because it's just single game. You know, it's single game el- elimination. Anything could happen. Yeah. Whereas the idea with the NBA is that over the course of seven games, the best team is going to win the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. But what we are witnessing right now with the Heat and their shooting, which is historically great. I saw some comparisons to the 2017 Warriors <laughs> and how they're like percentage points better on open threes Sir. Than, than the 2017 warriors <laughs> like that gets me excited just because this would represent like a true historical anomaly if they continued this shooting and pulled this off i mean for for um, so many reasons like even beyond the shooting the fact they were an eight seed the fact that they lost the first playing game um so the fact that they won that game too and did it while having another great shooting night just gets me excited i just want to see if this train how long is this train gonna go andrew i know and the thing is, like, they're generating wide open threes for good shooters all the time. They are. And they did it in game one, too, and they just missed them. Like, Max Drews missed like nine just completely open threes. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. And that is the part of this is that, you know, you can't just do this with a, a random assortment of guys thrown out there. Like, they do have good shooters on their team that have had good season shooting sure it's more the 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 fact that they weren't good this season in the regular season and have just come to life and exceeded even what they were previously doing um when they were good shooters so yeah i'm very excited these long long time between games andrew i thought there was a game last night it is and i turned on my tv and then i realized another day (laughs) As somebody who is like scheduling and like trying to organize shows for this, I actually kind of like it, just because of like the the uh, 
how you like it how much of a i mean it's just it's just a marathon going through the playoffs doing podcasts like every single night and trying to make sure that they're they're being done grinding Um, you're grinding just a little grinding so the the finals is great i like the pace of it gives you like a a little window into what it might be like covering football you know just because you have so many days between games and you just get to talk about the same stuff over and over again um over and over again over and over again um Yeah, but I'm I'm very excited. I'm glad that the ratings are good just to shut everyone up about the ratings. <laughs> it's the most annoying conversation that I just I just don't care that much about it and I'm I'm glad the ratings are good too. <laughs> Cuz if they had been bad, then it would have been an entire another like 2-day news cycle of people like reacting to that. But it's like, ah, actually they were better than last year yeah. when the Warriors were in it. So, right. all right. Yeah, well, we can all shut Warriors up. Warriors Celtics. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's good. Uh, before we get in to uh, some scuttlebutt, and there is some scuttlebutt, nothing too juicy at this stage of the pre-draft process, I did want to bring up one of our listeners, mm-hmm. Evan McDaniel, at Evan ETM. You probably have, you probably if you've listened to the Fry Pod for a while, you probably recognize his name because he's been Definitely. a long-time listener, and I'm sure that he has asked questions before. Cause I know when I saw his name, I instantly knew mm-hmm. like who he was. I recognized his name instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, he was involved in a very serious accident over the weekend on Sunday that injured his, one of his arms in a very serious way. Yeah. And uh, he, you can go to his Twitter um, page if you want to read the details. Uh, Cause they are a little grisly. He used the word filet in describing what happened to yeah. him. Um, he had to be, you know, taken to the hospital and he's going to have a long road to recovery in terms of physical therapy and things like that. So um, they set up a GoFundMe for him and trying to reach a goal of $2,000. And we're about halfway there, $1,005. So we're going to retweet it out again today. And if you're able, you know, there's, there's people, you know, don't need five bucks. You know, like, that's great. Like, anything, anything helps. And we just really want to help Evan get to his goal and you know, show him some support because if it, it, it sounds like it's going to be a long road to recovery, and we just want him to know that, you know, the the Thunder fan base is out there thinking about him, knowing that he's going through something really tough right now. Yeah, uh, I have posted the link in the chat as well, so please do that if you're on here live with us, and I'll also put it in the description of the podcast today. So if you feel so inclined and would like to help out a another thunder fan that's in need that would be uh spectacular do that do that today do it right now even just pause the podcast get go go click on the gofundme and help take care of evan a little bit so and hopefully evan's listening and he will enjoy all this scuttlebutt talk that's right here comes the scuttlebutt um okay so there's not a ton, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, none of this is particularly juicy, but mm-hmm. it is kind of reinforcing some things that we've heard since the beginning. Yeah. Um, which that in and of itself in- is interesting because I actually think back to last year when like the Jabari Smith to Orlando thing kept being reiterated over oh, yeah. and over again. And then that oh, turns yeah. out to be false. Yep. Um, so Jake Fisher had an article and there were a few things coming out of that. Mm-hmm. The first 
is that Trailblazers officials have left inquiring teams with the impression that Shaden Sharp, the number seven pick in last year's draft, is off limits in any dialogue regarding the number three pick. Untouchable. Untouchable. Which I would say, if you, if you are a Blazers fan, that probably makes you feel good. Because if you had a concern about this summer, it would be that they were going to leverage their entire future to try to build around Dame. At least they have drawn the line in the sand somewhere. Yeah. And they've drawn it with Shaden Sharp. Yeah. At Good least they're going to try to do the two timeline thing, which we have seen work so well in Golden <clears throat> State. So you should feel pretty good if you're a well, fan. The, the Thunder were doing a two timeline last year with Mike Muscala until, until they, <laughs> and they traded him away. Him. That, was our, that was our two timelines. <laughs> <laughs> and it was working, Andrew. Uh, I don't know why they blew it up. Yeah. Uh, sure. So then Dame was on a Showtime podcast that I had never heard of before. And <laughs> I, I, I didn't know Showtime had podcasts. I think ever, I saw, ever, I saw, just assume that everybody has podcasts at this point. I guess so. Um, we, he, he On that pod, he said, we got an opportunity asset-wise to build a team that can compete. If we can't do that, then it's a separate conversation we would have to have. Now, he... Also, in that interview, said that he expects to be in Portland this season. So, I, I don't like Blazers fans get very upset by the national coverage of Dame. Yeah, I will just say, at some point, they have to admit he is kind of like a a slop factory. Like he does not have to say these things. Dude, I was talking about this on the Fry Pot a few weeks ago. It's like. Stop. Like, he's the one generating the conversation. He's the reason why we, he, he does this every year where he, it's about this time of year where he's like, you know what? I don't know about this. Not sure what's going to happen and we, here. And then in September, we're going to get the loyalty speech from him. And we're we'll be like, oh my gosh, you know what? We just have always wanted superstars to be like this. You know, thank you, Dame. But he's the one who starts the conversation and he's the one who ends it with, you know what? But I'm loyal. By golly. And what Blazers fans would tell you is that, well, it's, it's he's getting asked these questions. Like, what yeah, is he supposed I know, to do? I know. However, I know. However, okay, fine. This answer very similar to what he said at exit interviews. So, like, maybe you just chalk that up. Hey, that's he's just reiterating what he said. The the host also asked him about potential trade scenarios and said, if you let's say you could get traded to one of these four teams. Which would you like to go to? And he immediately answered. He said, oh, Miami, definitely. Like, instantly. He did not think. He, he, he didn't have to answer that way. It, he said. If you're, not on I was, the, I, if you're not on the stream, I'm rolling my eyes so hard. <laughs> that, those are the type of answers where I'm just like, come on. Like, everything that Blazers fans I, I say, I get. But there's a point where it's like, okay, he doesn't have to be that. He doesn't have to give that much. He has an agent. He has a PR person. He has the Blazers PR that could help him with this, where they just say, hey, listen, these kind of questions are just... I'm thinking about that right now. Yeah, are off limits. Yeah, or he could even... Yeah, he could say, you know what? I'm focused on the Blazers. Yeah. That's all he has to say. He continues the the conversation and put like, well, he's just answering honestly. Fine. I mean, he is, but like... (laughs) He is, but it... We can't keep saying that he's being put in these positions. Like, Bradley Beal... For years and years, and I know he's not on the same tier as Dame. He's not anywhere yeah. close to Dame yeah. as a player. But he's on Blazers but like, East, so yeah. 
Brad, Bradley Beal, Bradley, Bradley Beal isn't isn't showing up on podcasts like every couple months talking about his future. It's, it's more us talking about it. Yeah. But like Beal isn't going on like PG's podcast and talking about, oh, what he's going to do in his future. When is the last time you heard Bradley Beal talk? Honestly, I cannot remember. Yeah. I cannot remember the last Dame time I saw He doesn't have to Bradley agree Beal. to do these. He doesn't have to agree to do these. Yes. Uh, anyways, I, I, I do think it's interesting because uh, I've been listening to... I listen to Blazers podcast. I was listening to Jack Ramsey's and, you know, post lottery, the word out of like every Blazers outlet was like, they're definitely trading this pick. Do not even think about another idea. And, and we kind of got that with, when we talked to Sean Hyken on Saturday slam and jam, Yep. you know, I posed that question. Like, what do you think the chances are that they just end up having to keep the pick because there's not a deal and they keep Dame. And he was kind of, you know, saying that like, well, I, I still think that's unlikely that that would happen in that scenario. It's been very interesting to watch the turn in the last week where at least from listening to Jack Ramsey's, they're starting to get the feeling that like maybe this deal isn't out there for the third pick, Yeah, which is good for Blazers fans in the sense that they're n- hopefully they're not going to give up this third pick in a deal where they're not getting equal value back because I yeah. do think the third pick is, is worth a lot. That's a, that's a good asset. And trading that for, let's say, a year of Pascal Siakam with no guarantees that he's going to sign next year. And even right. if he did sign next year, you're signing like a 30-year-old to a four-year max contract. But he's probably the best guy out there that could be had for the third Right. If you, if you can't get Bridges, who's on a long-term cheap deal, if you can't yeah. get Jalen Brown, who's much younger, then yeah, Siakam's probably the most realistic option. And I personally wouldn't want <laughs> my team trading a number three overall pick for a 30-year-old Pascal Siakam. I think he's 29 right now. But he's yeah, but, and also, if it didn't work, he could just be like, all right, see ya. Yeah, like what if Dame gets hurt and yeah. they have to tank again and then he's just gone? So yeah. it's been interesting listening to uh, these, these Blazers podcasts kind of start having to talk about this scenario, which I'm starting to feel like is going to be the most likely scenario where they just draft Scoot Henderson, let's say, yeah. who's there at number three, simply because they correctly set, see that there's not a trade that's worth it for them. Yeah. What I would do if I were them is draft the guy that is going to look the best, the quick, the fastest. Let him play alongside Dame. Because it's possible that they increase their value. It's also possible that they decrease their value. Like if Scoot Henderson gets in the league and he can't hit threes. Or just, they, it, like, if they draft Scoot and they keep Dame, now all of a sudden you have... A like even more magnified small guard problem than they had previously. Yeah. Because now you have Scoots. Dame, Scoot, Ant, and Shaden Sharp, who's not like the biggest guy in the world. And you're trying yeah. to find room for all of those guys. Like it, it would actually help them in this scenario of Brennan and Miller fell to three. Yeah. That that's one of the other scuttlebutts going on right now. I don't know if they're called scuttlebutts. Uh one of the other scuttlebutts <laughs> out there is that everyone is kind of convinced that the Hornets are going to take Brandon Miller. Yeah. Which again, you have to remind yourself of what happened last year with Jabari, but it kind of fits the narrative that Mitch Kupchak started like immediately after the lottery when he said, you know, we're at a point where we can start just drafting for fit. He said that for some reason. The first clear why the first GM of a number two overall pick to ever say that. (laughs) Yeah. We could draft for fit. Yeah. (laughs) 
We don't have to worry about talent, actually. <laughs> We're just going to find well, what we need. And, and, and not like Brandon Miller's like some bad dude. I don't, I've not gotten the impression that he's some bad guy, but the, the fact that they he, he be, might be the right pick at number two. He very well could them. be. He very well could be the perfect fit for them and kind of unlock some things. But the fact that you're going to bring back Miles Bridges and bring in Brandon Miller, who's fair or not, has some, not charges against him, but he's involved in a case that is really bad. Um, it's just not the greatest look for the Hornets. It's not like the greatest PR spin look. for them. So if, if they bring back Miles Bridges, it is going to be a, a story and they're going to have to respond, and they're going to do a terrible job responding. They're going to do a bad job. Um, and, the, and and I guess... All teams do a terrible job. If you're this. Brandon Miller, it might be the best situation for you because no one and is going to talk about him. Yeah, they're no going to all would. talk about Miles. <laughs> you know? I, I do think it would be bad, though, when you when you consider that the Hornets might be getting sold this summer at some point. Yeah. Like, if you're an incoming ownership group, you would hope that you would get to be making those decisions. Because I imagine that there are people who would want to buy the Hornets who would say, no, there's no way I'm bringing back Miles Bridges on this team. Yeah. Like, I want to start sure. a new era of Charlotte's Hornets basketball. I don't want any of this baggage associated with this team at all. Yeah. I want to, like, establish my culture. You would imagine that there are owners who would want that say in these decisions. So it's very weird that all of this is happening without a new owner in place when there's an expectation there's going to be a new owner very, very soon. Yeah. Um, More scuttlebutts? Uh, well, actually, I, I did see a conspiracy theory on uh, ESPN that all of the Brandon Miller to Charlotte noise is a uh, a conspiracy where Jonathan Gavoni is helping out Mike Schmitz uh, with the Blazers by letting everyone know that Brandon Miller is going to so that there's an assumption Scoot Henderson will be there at three to jack up the price of the third pick. Wow. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? I would I would just go ahead and assume that there's just a lot of uh, stuff going on with Gavoni. So I like it. Ooh. And I'm in. Ooh. And I'm in. <laughs> Very cool. Um, now, along that same lines, uh, Mark Spears tweeted out last night that Pooh Jeter is uh, retiring from playing. Uh-huh. He, he was with the G League Ignite. He was one of Scoot Henderson's teammates last year. And he is taking over as assistant GM for the Trailblazers' new G League team. They're one of the few teams that does not have a G League team. They're about to get one, and Poo Jeter is taking over. Yeah. And then Sean Hyken said, of note, Poo Jeter was in attendance at Scoot Henderson's workout over the weekend. They were teammates with the Ignite, and Scoot talked about how important he was as a mentor to him. Wow. Kind of interesting. If, if if they are planning on just taking Scoot, if he's there, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I because thought, that's what I would do if I were them. I would just take best player available and figure it out. Whether you think it's Scoot or Amin Thompson or if you think it's Cam Whitmore, whoever it is, just like take them. That's what I, I would. I would. Do. I would too. Um, I, I will acknowledge though that like if Brandon Miller fell, it's a much easier immediate sell. In that you you could imagine, okay, maybe if he does come in and is immediately good, you can keep doing this kind of two timelines thing. Scoot feels like a clean break from that just because of the positional overlap with Dame. Yeah. And the fact that I know that he has a giant wingspan, but he's 6'2 or whatever. 
Like that is he's that short. Is, he's short. <laughs> that would be a tiny backcourt. I'm assuming he'd be coming off the bench in that scenario if they keep Simons. And maybe they have to trade Simons if they did draft Scoot. Um, but I do feel like drafting Scoot would show me that they're like very serious about moving forward because they understand the ramifications of dressed, drafting a 6'2 point guard. Yeah. Yeah, I I would still do it if they believe that he's the best. And I I now that they have Mike Schmitz and have a good scouting department, you know, I trust those guys just to go make the highest upside pick. And yeah, that that's the there. part of this that I've always felt Blazers fans haven't um they they've downplayed it too much, which is the fact that their scouting department is vastly different from what it was under Neil Olshay. Yeah. Like they have invested so much more in both domestic scouts and international scouts. And they're like a, a, a legit, they've got a legit eye for talent, I would say, in, com- in comparison to the way they used to draft. Now, they still used to draft pretty well, um, but like they never drafted international players. They didn't have a G League team, so they didn't have a lot of ways to engage in player development outside of trying to get guys on the main team or sending them to another team's G League. So it feels like they are getting more serious about just the entire player development infrastructure. And that, as a, if I was a Blazers fan, would make me feel a lot better about them going this route because it feels like, okay, we actually have the people in place who could make this work long-term. Yeah. Even though you, you acknowledge that they're probably going to be bad for a little while if they, if they did end up trading Dean. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They've been bad for two seasons, though. Yeah. Okay, next scuttlebutt. We kind of knew this, but I'm just repeating it. The Rockets are fielding trade interest for the fourth overall selection. And in general, Jake Fisher said kind of every team in the top 10 outside of like San Antonio is exploring the idea of trading the pick. Sure. And I don't think it's because, and, and on, some, on some level, I, I get it. We, we say this every single year. But I actually do think this draft is playing into that, not because it's a bad draft, but because it feels a little flat like once you get beyond the top two or three guys, depending on how you feel about the guys around four or five. But maybe let's say around like seven or eight, it does start to feel like it flattens out a little bit. And the guy you could potentially get at seven could also fall to 12 or something. So I'm still waiting for for something to hit there. You know, you you tend to think that it's just going to end up with everyone just staying where they are yeah. because draft picks just don't get traded that often, like on draft night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still gets me excited, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. I don't know though. If, if Houston believes question. that they can get a veteran point guard with the fourth pick. No, just, or just in, in, general. in free agency, whether that's yeah. James Harden or Fred Van Vliet. If they believe they can get one of those guys, what are you doing making this pick? Well, and so not only what are you doing making that pick, but Raphael Barlow reported that he thinks regardless of what they do in free agency, it would be very likely they take a Thompson twin. And <sighs> everyone's been talking about Amen Thompson yeah. as like the the fit there, the guy that they're most interested in when other reporters talk about this. Mm-hmm. That would be... That would be strange. It would be really strange. It, it like would... I, I would get it in terms of like no matter what you do, you're taking BPA. But at the same time, if you come into next season and you're trying to find developmental minutes for a guy who definitely needs the ball in his hand, yeah, 
like maybe more than anyone else in this class, right? Amin Thompson needs the ball in his hand, and you're trying to play him alongside James Harden or trying to find him minutes off the bench where he can he can run the second unit. I don't know if that's like the best developmental path. And also like Jalen Green isn't some like incredible off ball player. He's he's gonna need to be. So I mean that's where I'm just like I I don't know. Well that that's where Fred Van Vliet actually makes a little bit more sense because at least you know Fred can play off ball and is cool with that. Whereas it seems like James Harden wants to go back to Houston Harden. Oh yeah. And play like that again. Yeah. You also wonder if Fred is going to be willing, who's made an all-star team, would be, come to Houston and just be like, yeah, I'll just run off ball for you guys that won 20, probably like 20 year old guys. 20 games last year. Like, I don't know. It's just an the odd other, situation. The other thing I've been thinking about with uh, Harden specifically, or, or if they do Harden and Amen, or even if they just bring in Amen, you have to imagine KPJ's minutes are going down. And I'm no yeah. KPG fan, KPJ fan. Like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of his game. However, he was absolutely Houston's best three-point shooter last year. It wasn't close. He was the only guy who shot over 36% from three. He did it on a high volume. Yeah, He was their best three-point shooter. If they go into next season and you have Shen Goon, who's, not, who's a non-shooter, you were putting so much in... Jabari and Jalen Green taking huge leaps yeah. from three. They they have to take huge leaps from three. Or you're starting to get into like a really serious it's a big, issue. It's a big now, yikes. I, I would imagine that those guys are going to get much cleaner looks, regardless, like just as long as they bring in a a point guard. Even if it's Amen Thompson, I think they'll get better looks than they were getting last year with Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah. Uh, but still, they have to prove it. They actually have to make shots at some point. Yeah, Be- because if you have Amen and Shingun in your starting lineup, two guys who you anticipate will be non-shooters for the foreseeable future, maybe one of them develops eventually. Who, boy, Andrew? I- I'm just so interested to see what happens. Like, would Fred Van Vliet really want to leave the Raptors? Who's like a good? It's a good good organization to go to the Rockets, which people behind the scenes, everybody jokes about them. Everybody does. It's going to have to be like crazy money, and it's just be like, hey, you know what? Well, I'm just going to go get. Seen. I'm just going to go get a big fat check from Houston, and if it doesn't work out, I'll force a trade. Well, we saw that with uh, Monty Williams. Like sometimes <laughs> when you're a bad team, you just got to pony up to oh, make something man. happen. Yeah, Monty, please fix this. He's like, no thanks. He's like, we'll pay you seven million a year. No thanks. He's like, it would take. 12 for me to even consider it and they're like done <laughs> and he's like what <laughs> yeah, okay i, I, I guess go. it's great for him it is such a long-term contract uh <sighs> I, I think monty williams is a way better coach than this but it, it does give me flashes of like when john gruden went to the raiders on like this 10-year 100 million dollar deal yeah and like as soon as you start to have questions about it and this is happening at Texas A&M too with Jimbo Fisher. Like, yeah. as soon as you have questions about it, it's like, ah, uh, I don't know if we really can get out of this. Like, it has to work. It has to work because, and you have to, and you have to give it time. And what's it really sucks for the Pistons that they got pick five. I think you can get a good player at pick five, but boy, 
they they need a way to step up and I'm not sure that it's on the roster today and I'm not sure that pick five can get them where they need to go. They I mean they it is there's an immense amount of pressure on Cade Cunningham to be a really good player. Definitely. I mean he's yeah, got he to need, be an, he needs to be, if he, not generational, he needs to be like a clear all star. Yeah, clear multi time all star in in the similar mold to like Shea. Like he needs to emerge as like a Shea type of player. Which is a, especially for this upcoming season, that's a big ask for a guy going into his, you know, third season. Yeah, and coming off injury, play in the second season. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot to ask. But I, I agree. Like they, they kind of need that type of a jump from someone to get back to respectability. Yeah, it's because it's a big leap to go from where they were last year to even the play in. I mean, think about it. The Heat were a play in team in the East. They were. Oh, by the way. Since you just brought it up, I brought it up. I, what I said, I brought it up. Um, James Edwards the yep. third. Yep, he wrote an article uh, about, or maybe he was answering a mailbag. Anyways, he brought up a trade idea for the fifth pick. Yeah, and it was sending Bogdanovich to OKC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Along had, with the fifth pick. He and I did a for, podcast about this on OKC oh, Dream Team. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go so, ahead. so I believe the deal was number 12. And then he was kind of vague on the picks. He said like a 2024 pick and a 2025 pick. Yeah. So basically giving three first round picks to move all the way up to five. Yeah. And you take back Bogdanovich, who you probably could trade for a, for another first. Yeah. I would imagine. Or maybe be, that would even be a three team deal. Yeah. I, I think the Thunder would, pro- would like to. Yeah, push him to a different team. Although he'd be incredibly useful <laughs> to yeah. this to this Thunder team, I yeah, just don't think they. I just don't think they would want him because of the amount of guys they need to develop. Still, um, one, I feel like that's actually pretty accurate value. Yeah, I, I do think it would take the twelve plus two additional first, depending so, on what those firsts are. So he. So when we talked about it. He like first when he was writing this article, he was texting me about it. He's like, "What do you think about the Thunder's twelve? And it like pick when the first iteration was Rockets and um, Clippers twenty four picks for with for Bogdanovich and five. They're twenty four picks. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think about that? If they, I don't know if I have a guy yet at five, but if they have a guy at five and you're able to use some of those 24 picks, which, so, so now if this happened, I would absolutely buy into the idea that it's a weak draft in 24. I would, I would <laughs> we would be throwing quick. that draft out the window <laughs> if they did this. I would immediately pivot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the draft sucks anyways. Who cares? We've got yeah, who we cares? got the yeah. fifth, I would, got the fifth would pick in a great draft. Of course, of course, we'd do this. Uh, yeah, I, I would cons- Yeah, I, th- I think that's. I would say I think that's fair value. It feels like a lot, but I think when you factor in the way people are talking about that draft, the fact that the Rockets pick can only be as high as five in that yeah. draft. That's the best it can be. The Clippers pick, like we'll see what happens with the Clippers. I just even. As they're getting older, even though the fact they're over the second apron, I still wouldn't bet right now that they're going to be like a bottom eight team. I don't think they will be either. 
but but let's say you, you in that scenario, like worst case scenario, you give up like the number five pick in next year's draft, the number let's say twelve pick in next year's draft, and the twelve pick in this year's draft. Three lottery to move picks. up to five. Yeah, that that is a that is a a lot. It's a lot if you just set aside how people are perceiving next year's draft. Yeah, it's a lot. but if there was someone that they absolutely loved, they're going to have to figure out something with those twenty four picks at some point. So totally, I think they're in play. I don't. I'm not like reporting that, but I would. Be, I am. I would be very shocked if they were not in play for the for the right asset. And yeah. that's like Andrew, Andrew's like, not reporting it. I'm more than willing to report it's a, it. It's like a right duh, It's like a big kind of like duh. Of course, it would. They would be no. available. It's not but my source to say. Who would you take? Let's say you're on the clock, and obviously oh Wimbenyama, Brandon Miller, Scoot, and I'm in Thompson. <sighs> Are all gone. Who are you taking at five? Uh, I, I would say my default pick right now is is probably Jarris Walker. Yeah, I think that's. Um, I think that you and Thunder Thunder Nation are aligned on that. Yeah i I like the idea that similar to uh, Bam Adebayo, and I'm not saying that they're similar skill sets, but similar to Bam. Uh, Jarrett showed a lot more in high school that he was not asked to do in Houston. Yeah. Um, specifically like as a passer and playmaker. And so when you factor in that, the, the thing I, that worries me about Jarris is that even though he's huge, it doesn't seem like he plays super physical. Um, like in terms of his rim attempts and, and things like offensively, that. Offensively he doesn't. Like- yeah. Yeah. Offensively he's not very physical. Yeah, like he'll settle settle for floaters and stuff. Now, maybe you bring him into OKC and and you know he he can become a more physical player offensively because mm-hmm. I, I do think that would be nice to have. Um, defensively, though, I I would be pretty excited about him. Outside of Jarris, um, would you say Anthony Black? Would that be your answer at five? Would you uh, give up? This is the ultimate test of your Anthony Black love. If you would be willing to give up three theoretical lottery picks. For Anthony Black, I think I would, just because I think oh he's gonna my. be. I think he's gonna be the best player left on in the, the draft. Board. On the in the draft, better than Wimbledon. Wow, <laughs> no, I think he's the best player left on the board. That is like gonna have like the longest career, like biggest impact on the NBA. And the, yeah, the I'll admit the fit is not clean. Certainly, um, someone says dirty. It's a little dirty. It's a little messy. It's definitely a hey. We believe in our coaching staff and our ability to teach guys to shoot. <laughs> you know, yeah. But the upside of a guy that thinks the game at his level is is pretty tremendous. And I just think he's the best player available. And I and if I'm the Thunder, I'm still just and if I'm picking in the lottery with my own pick, and then certainly if I'm trading up, I'm taking the best player available. Like I'm not really considering fit at this point. Like I'm just taking best player available. And I think he fits into what the Thunder want to do. Like long term, they want to play this, you know, musically based offense where it's just like we're not doing it's not this like pattern, it's all rhythm. And so like he fits into that so well. Like he can make reads so well he can put pressure on the rim he will shoot he's not a great shooter but he will shoot and if he can improve that shot like boy like we're talking about another all-star type type of player for okc you know what 
that reminds me of something. Uh, last week we had Ben Pfeiffer on, and I was asking Ben, you know, I've been a little lukewarm on this draft just in terms of the Thunder. Like, I, I generally actually really like this draft. I like the prospects, but I, sure. I've, I've been having a hard time finding like the exact guy I want on the Thunder. Yeah, and and I feel like something he said really clicked for me because he loves this draft, and he said if it does have a weakness. Is that there's not a ton of high field prospects. Yeah. And I realized, oh, that's why. That's like, why that's we don't why, like the draft that much. Is that's can. why I've been struggling to find like the perfect guy. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Anthony Black is one of those guys. Like mm-hmm. he's definitely a high field prospect. Yeah. Um, so I, I would certainly understand it. it. It would terrify me, but a lot of things have terrified me that have worked out. Yeah. So uh, I'd probably be fine I mean, with just, it. Is there anyone though? Mm hmm. Here's what I really want to know. Yeah. And by the way, going back to Jairus Walker, I actually don't know if I like Jairus Walker enough where I'd be willing to give up. That it's a lot to give up. Offer. It's a lot to give up for him. Like, the reason just, I would do it is the defensive upside that exists there with, with this team and his ability to kind of defend fours and fives. Yeah. But offensively, it's not ideal. And he is a good passer. That's great. I don't know what he does to score. Um I don't know. I just don't trust the shot all that much. And he profiles way more as like a role player than a guy like Anthony Blackwood. I think Anthony Black can handle the ball a little bit more. and be Andrew, more. Uh, with this new CBA, we kind of need some role players, okay? We can't give five maxes out, Andrew. We'll create a third apron. At, at some point, they're, they're going to trade somebody. Don't say that. <laughs> I just think it's going to happen at some point. And I just think having like a six, seven guard, I mean, he's a freaking amazing perimeter defender and he's a lot stronger than he looks. There's just so much to like about what he can do. If you want to play like an all switchy lineup, like boom, like he's there. I think, Um, I think he's going to be, I think he's okay. That's enough. That's enough. Anthony black talk from you. Sorry. Okay. Uh, let's say, they do this. They move up to five. Mm-hmm. It's all hypothetical. Is there anyone where if they drafted him, you would actually be upset? At five? Yeah. Um. So I don't think there really is. Like, I no. know you don't love Cam Whitmore, but if they thought that Cam Whitmore was like a great play finisher and he's just like a huge body and he's, he's going to make a lot of sense for this Thunder team, even if he's not like this amazing processor of the game, like it wouldn't upset me. I'd yeah. be like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. I mean, Maybe. I've been saying this all along. Like I, I will believe it when I see it, when they draft a play finisher in the lottery, but if they do that this year, like I'm not going to be upset about it. Like if they took him or Hendricks or somebody like that, that was just like purely play finisher type of guy. And cam's got like upside as a score. Definitely. That, these other guys don't have like he's got tremendous upside as a score compared to like Jarris or even Hendrix and Anthony Black and all those guys like yeah I mean I I'd buy into it I mean the Thunder don't have like a scoring like true wing you right. know so I think I would be very intrigued I'd be a little I would be surprised by it just because he just did not pass but you wouldn't have the reaction uh that people had when uh when Darius Baisley was like, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I just, I think the Thunder have created a team that can really take on any kind of player. 
he is a very Cam Whitmore. He is so much bigger in my mind than he is in real life. He is six. He's under six six without yeah. shoes. Yeah, his wingspan is under six nine. He's not like a particularly big player. I'm looking at his. Uh, he's a like, he's a wing. He's a wing. But even still, like I mean, J Dub has a seven two wingspan. You know. Like, yeah, yeah. He he is crazy strong though. He is. Oh, like, you know who he profiles similarly to? Hmm. Uh, Darius Miller. Remember when he played on the Thunder? Yeah. <laughs> you really have to go back. You have to go <laughs> like like size wise. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm, this is just physical comparisons. Uh, yeah. Grant Williams. He's very similar to in size. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's definitely he's strong as heck. He's fast. He's a crazy athletic. He can shoot it. He's really young. He's gonna be. He'll, he might be the youngest lottery pick, um, if Koulibaly doesn't get selected in the in the lottery. Um, there's a lot to like, certainly. So, I, would you, would you agree that if they did move up for five, there's basically no, there's no one that we would be upset about. I not no 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 no. I mean, if yeah, there's there's really nobody in there that I would say I'd be mad like Casey Wallace, Grady Dick. Anthony Black, Taylor Hendricks, well, Jarris yeah, Walker. Okay. If they moved up to five to get Grady Dick, I would be surprised. I would, I would say, do you did you really need to do that? Did well, we, we really thought the same thing up? about Josh at the time. Then the reporting came out that he was definitely going to be taken by Golden State, and yeah. so perhaps Orlando, who is going to be like dead set on him, or the Pacers are dead set on him. You know, we just don't know. We look at these boards and they all kind of look the same for the most part. But when you get to draft night. You know, teams don't care about this stuff. You know, every team has a different board that looks way different. We think of, like, draft value is, like, so different than what it actually ends up being. You know, like, J-Dub taking it at 12, Giddy taking it at 6. Like, all of those felt like like a reach. But then when you get the intel afterwards, it's like, oh, okay. Well, NBA teams were thinking about this a lot differently than yeah. all these, like, guys that are making these mock drafts. And so the the value proposition for some of these guys is, is just going to look so different a month from now where we look back and we'll be surprised that so-and-so went higher or this guy went lower or whatever. Um, a couple more scuttlebutts. Uh, Jonathan Wasserman tweeted this morning that prior to Derek Whitehead's recent foot surgery, he's met with multiple late lotto teams and teams with two-plus first-rounders per source. Instead of workouts, he's had film sessions, meeting with head coaches, execs, med staff. Um, just wanted to point that out because it said late lotto. We're in the late lotto. Yeah. Just mentioning it. Just mentioning it. Dariq Whitehead. Yeah, um, but Dariq had surgery again. He did, but there was no refracture. Um, that's what <laughs> Jonathan said. But that sounds good. Great. Better than there being a refracture. Uh, yeah. The other thing I was going to just – the last thing here is Tim Cato had an article – talking about the Kyrie, LeBron, whatever that was. Sure. And he said pretty definitively in that article that, like, the 10th pick is going to get moved. Yeah. He, he did not – the the way I, – I don't remember the exact wording, but I came away from that feeling like, oh, they're definitely moving that pick. Yeah. And we've been talking mostly about moving up, like moving from 12 to 10. However, 
if Dallas is wanting to get rid of a 10th pick, like what what are they going to do with a 12th pick? So I wonder what, like what you would need to do to just get the 10th pick. How much would you be willing to give up? I, I mean, I think that they would want multiple picks similar to the trade to get 11 last year to then move in other deals. Yeah. So they could just have it or, or is it just trying to get off of money because they could open a lot more space if they could get someone to absorb one of these contracts whether it's Bertans or, or Tim I mean, that's where the thunder, I mean, if I'm the thunder, I would definitely, I mean, I would, I would think that the Bertans trade would just make so much sense. So much sense for them. That's, that's how I feel. And I feel like, okay, maybe you have to give something extra, but taking on Bertans contract is kind of really helping out the math. Oh, it's very, it shouldn't be overlooked in this deal. Yeah. That you were taking on Bertans' money, who's not just next year. It is also the year after that at around like 17 million. Yeah. I I would and I I just think he could actually help the Thunder as a role playing shooter. Oh, you believe in Bertans? I do. I do actually believe that he could help OKC. I think that he is if he was put in Mark Degnall's system, I think I I think he would do some stuff. I think that he would knock down. <laughs> I'm sure, he'd do something. I, th- I think he would knock down shots at a high level, and I think people would be surprised. I just think these kind of guys can be resurrected. We're seeing it with Duncan Robinson right now, who just like a month and a half ago, people were like, "Man, I can't be able to even get off of this contract. Like, what a terrible deal!" And yeah. now he's, I mean, he's been awesome. So I, I just think that you can these guys like. I don't think Davis Bertans has forgot how to shoot the basketball. He just needs to be put into the right kind of system. And to have a weapon like that, I think it'd be pretty great. I think he would be pretty great with OKC, and he would allow them to help them get the 10th pick too, just because the money is just so high. So, so high. Yeah, I think I'd be willing to do, if if it's just picks, I would be willing to do the, the Utah pick next year. And take on Bertans. Yeah. Yeah. Top 10 protected. And then it decreases from there. That's like, I mean, it's a decent pick. It, it, it could very well be a late lottery pick next year. I don't yeah. know if that's enough for them, but I, I hesitate to offer too much more than that. Yeah. Um, unless they just love like this area of the draft, which to be fair, there's, a lot of guys that I'd be perfectly happy with. Yeah. Yeah, his contract becomes fully guaranteed if he plays 75% of the regular season games in 23-24. But I thought his his final year is a player option. So how does that work? He has a it's 5 million guaranteed in 24-25. Fully guaranteed if he uh, plays 75% of the games. Oh, he's not going to play 75% of the game. So maybe that's actually not enough because that's actually pretty easy to get off of where you only have to pay him $5 million in that final year. That's why like a 12 for Bertans and 10, if like you just need to jump a couple spots, would yeah. make some sense. And then so, like- so actually the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract, even though he's perceived as a, a better player – his is way more committed because it's just full guarantees the next two years 
18 million next year and then 16 million in the final year. Yeah. I'd be less willing to take on Hardaway Jr. Um, I just don't, I, I think he would, maybe the Thunder would find some way to move him or I don't know. I'd be, I'd be less bullish on that situation just because he's a more of a high usage player than Bertans is. And yeah. Bertans is really only one year and you can waive him, you know, hmm. Hmm. that's hmm. uh that's and pretty compelling. And you could just hold him out of 26% of the, uh, the games <laughs> to start the season. And then you can put him exactly. in the lineup <laughs> and you put him in the lineup and you're like, all right, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the team. Like- Davis. Even if he was playing well, I don't know if there's a team better equipped to not play him in 75% of the games than OKC, just because they have so many guys they could rotate in. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. Uh, okay, one more thing I want to talk about, Yeah, yeah. Andrew. This is sort of related to Derek Lively. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've been thinking about how... I've been thinking about this draft, mm-hmm. thinking about how I've been thinking about this draft. Uh-huh. And I think I've been way too focused on, we need to find the guy at 12 that completes this perfect starting five lineup in my head. Yeah. You know? And, and I think this is what leads us to, to hyper-focus on guys like Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, where it's like, I just want to have the perfect starting five where everyone is complimentary, sort of like what we're seeing with Denver right now. Sure. Who, who who have created that kind of perfect synergy of five players in their starting lineup. I also think back to the Chris Paul Hornets team that had like Peja, Mo Pete, David West, and Tyson Chandler along with Chris Paul. Yeah. That was just like a perfectly constructed starting five. And I think I'm a little too obsessed with that as I think about the draft. Yeah. When you look at the other teams who made it to the final four this year, all of them, other than Denver, used multiple starting lineups in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, the, the Boston rotated in Rob Williams or Derek White. Uh, the Miami Heat just started Kevin Love in game two after previously having not started him in game one. And then the Lakers started like a bunch of different guys. Now, that was maybe more due to them just like throwing anything at the wall to see what works. But I think it is true that you need to be able to play in multiple ways when you get to the playoffs. And so maybe I shouldn't be as hyper-focused on what the perfect starting lineup is going to look at. And that kind of brings me to Derek Lively, because when we've talked about Derek Lively before, you've mentioned how you you don't think they would do it in part because it feels like just a a conventional pick. It kind of feeds into the narrative that Chet isn't a center long-term, even though we both think that the team considers Chet a center Mm long-term. And it feeds into the narrative like, oh, Chet's not strong enough. You need to have another big body in there. And, and for that reason, we've kind of been averse to it. Yeah. However, Andrew. However. If, if the Thunder believe that his shooting is real. Mm-hmm. And again, he shot two of 14 from three at Duke. However. It's real. I believe that's on real. The, on the EYBL circuit, in which he was playing on the court with Jalen Duran. Yeah. I remembered who it was. He shot a lot more threes. He was not asked to do that as much in... Duke, to be fair, he was not good when he was asked to do it. He got a lot of like those 14 threes. A lot of those were wide open threes at the top of the key that he just missed. However, if they if they think that the shooting is real, what is conventional about having two seven-foot rim protectors who can both stretch the floor? I would argue that's 
one of the most unconventional things we've seen. I don't know if there's a team that's ever had two seven-foot rim protectors who can both stretch the floor. Yeah. I mean, you think about Cleveland, like Jared Allen. Okay, maybe they have two rim protectors, but, but neither of them can shoot the three yet. Um, Carl Anthony Towns and Nas Reed, like they can both shoot the three, but neither of them are really rim protectors. There is something unconventional, unconventional, unconventional bull about taking Derek Lively and putting him on this team. And you don't have to start him. Like if I break out of this idea where I'm so hyper-focused on the starting five and just think about the flexibility you would have with another seven-foot rim protector who can stretch the floor on the team, whether he's playing with Chet or not, it does kind of get me a little bit excited. Again, they have to believe in the shot. And if they don't believe in the shot, I'm a little less enthused about just the idea of having another big who's a good rim protector because I do feel like you can find those guys elsewhere. But I don't know. I've been thinking about that lately. I'm not saying he's definitely my guy at 12. Yeah. But just imagine that lineup if, if it all worked out where your shooting is coming from your bigs and then you have all these guys who are creating rim pressure surrounding them. Yeah, I think it makes sense. It'd be, um, it'd be kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely talk yourself into it. I just did. And <laughs> I think I think it would be cool to have him, but I just, again, I'll believe it when I see it with them drafting somebody that's not like a decision maker and like it's just like a, a play finisher. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I would be in, I mean I would be into it if they decided to do that just because I think I just think it would be I think he could he could help them and fill in gaps for them in in ways that they just don't have right now. So Cuz yeah. just imagine having your like traditional lineup which in this case even though it's like not super traditional but having Chet at the 5 and then you know whether it's J-Dub at the 4 or even someone you know like JRE or or whoever yeah. at the four. It's kind of like the traditional starting five. Then you can pivot to this small ball unit where you have Kenrich at the five, but then you can also pivot to this double big lineup where you have Lively and Chet on the floor. I just like the idea thinking about in the future in the playoffs of having multiple completely different lineups that you could throw at a team. Yeah. Yeah. That, that gets me excited. Yeah. I, I, you know, we're seeing, we saw with Boston, you know, like Boston's a great example of just like being able to play every kind of way. I guess my only question is like. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What if Lively doesn't shoot? Like, couldn't you just go find, like, another rim-running big? Yes, yes. And that's why all of this is kind of dependent on them really believing in the shot. Yeah. Um, Because there have been bigs who have shot well in pre-draft practices and pro days. Yeah. And then they just never shot in the league. I mean, we we always believe Steven Adams could probably shoot threes, and he just never did it. So, yeah, you you would want to feel good about that aspect before you committed to it. But I don't know. I'm just saying I'm, I'm... if they drafted him, I would immediately get it. And not for the reason that I think a lot of outsiders might think. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like a lot of people would view that pick as like, oh, they, they need, you know, a bigger body next to Chet. They don't believe Chet is like, can, can handle a, a center load long term. Yeah. I have not, I don't believe that that's correct. I, right. Yeah. I, they, and I don't either. I mean, because they could have, instead of taking Jang, and a lot of Thunder fans might be like, oh my gosh, I wish they would have done this. Like, they could have just taken Duran. And and, and then next year, they could have taken Derek Lively, reunited, teammates, put Chet (laughs) on the bench. Yeah. Start Lively. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have you you made your final decision on Bilal Koulibaly? No. No. No, I'm kind of annoyed by the whole situation, if I'm being honest. I uh, So here are my thoughts. Yeah. As a defensive prospect, I absolutely get it. Sure. I'm very convinced. I was watch- watching some of his highlights. He kind of reminds me of Herb Jones. The, the number of plays where he just out of nowhere closes out on a three-point shooter and either gets a block or heavily contests them where he like started the play facing away from them and then is able to get back and contest them in a real way. Those, cause those are kind of like the classic Herb Jones plays. Yeah. Where you like block three pointer. Those got me really excited, especially when you think about how the Thunder played defense last year. Yeah. Where they would tend to sink into the paint and they wanted their guys to have these aggressive closeouts. He seems like he'd be really good at that. Yeah. Even acknowledging that their defense is probably going to tra- change dramatically with Chet next year. Um, yeah. The, the athleticism he shows on the defensive end, like chasing guys around, really exciting. 
everything on the defensive end, I'm like fully on board. Yeah. I haven't been convinced yet that anything that his offensive game is thundery. His in shot, any way. shot is. His shot is at, really slow. Yeah, slow. It's mechanical. There's, there's just, there's some people that really like the shot. I'm just not. I just can't get there. The other thing is that we talk about feel. You know, everyone brings up because, because you know, if you look at what he did with with, uh, it's Metro ninety two or is it Metro Metropolitans, Metropolitans ninety two. His his like overall season long stats aren't amazing. Yeah. So people will point to like the under twenty one league. Yeah. Even at that league where he was scoring like over twenty points per game, he had a negative assist to turnover ratio. Yeah. Which to me is does not scream like high field prospect. And then you when you read more about him, yes, he had the turnover issues. He can be very like wild on drives, like that lead to a lot of charges. I I don't know if I buy that. Bilal offensively really fits the Thunder at all, really. Yeah. Like I, I get that he could potentially be a good cutter for the Thunder, but I don't buy that he's going to be able to stretch the floor long term. I mean, in addition to his shot being really slow, it, I've been reading multiple scouting reports that suggest that he's also been like very hesitant over the past, you know, you know, with with Metro ninety two or even before that, with taking those shots. Mm-hmm. So. I'm I'm pretty torn on it, and the more I read about it, the less I'm convinced that like the the promise is definitely from the Thunder. Yeah, I know uh, I know that that's like I know that that's what's out there right now, and right. I like I said like if if you look at him physically, like he has a super long wingspan, he he is hyper he looks very athletic, especially compared to the rest of the Thunder. Team. He's very yeah he is he's a great athlete. Yeah. Defensively, there are so many things that yes, I get for the Thunder, but offensively, like pe- people get mad at you for bringing up like Anthony Black yeah. because of his offensive fit. Like, why are people not getting mad at bringing up Bilal Kulabali for his offensive fit? Like, how is he a better fit than someone like Anthony Black or all of these other guys that we've been talking about who might have questionable shots? Like, at least Anthony Black is like a high level decision maker. Yeah. And a crazy, I've read nothing def- to suggest that that's defender. what Bilal's yeah. game is offensively. It's not. Now, the yeah. argument would be he's super young. The growth that he's made over this last year is like exponential. Yeah. And what we're seeing right now in the playoffs is kind of the, 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 the peak into what his future could possibly be, where he's really stepped up and had these really good games in meaningful games. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get that. That just feels so risky to me because you keep shrinking the sample size down. And at some point we're talking about like a couple games that you're really selling me on. Yeah. And I think about if the NBA draft happened like two weeks after the March after March Madness, how different we would have felt about some of those prospects. Mm-hmm. Like, would Jordan Hawkins be, like, way higher up just because, you know, Connecticut won the tournament. Yeah. He's this great movement shooter. But we've had, you know, weeks and now months to think about it. And people have broken down his game in different ways and, you know, come to the conclusion, like, he's an amazing movement shooter. I don't know if I can guarantee you he's going to give you a lot else, you know, in, in the other parts of his game. Bilal, on the other hand, is having, like, his amazing March Madness tournament run right before the draft. He's not going to get that period where people 
reflect on his game for a really long time mm-hmm. and think about it in incredible depth. Like it's just this hype train that just keeps going. And I think we're all aware that there could be recency bias at play, but like that, that really scares me, that aspect of it. Yeah. So I'm not going to be mad if they draft him because again, I think defensively he would fit incredibly yeah. and he would probably be able to get on the court as a rookie because of his defense alone. I just don't buy that his offensive game is some clean fit with the Thunder. And I actually think it would be an issue. Like I, I actually I think Usman Jang offensively makes more sense to me offensively with the Thunder yeah. than Bilal does. I agree. And I also just wonder Bilal's a project. You know, he's a project in the NBA. I think the to jump up another level would is gonna take a lot. I just wonder about having all these kind of like nebulous projects. Like maybe you're just like, Hey, we're just like throw these like high level projects out there and whoever is great, great. And whoever's not, who cares? And that's probably the mindset. And I get it. I just think it's hard to develop a lot of guys all at one time, especially as the team's getting better. I just think it's, it's a really tough thing to do at a really high level. And with the thunder, Maybe they're the team that's best equipped to do it just because they have their G League team literally playing in the same building as their, you know, NBA team and they can cycle these guys in and out. And that's great. I just wonder at some point, like, especially if you're drafting in the lottery, can you take somebody that has such a low floor? Because he probably has like the lowest floor, highest ceiling. You know, like the biggest difference in this draft. Like it's, I, I can't think of anybody else in the lottery that I think has a lower floor than Bilal does. Because I mean, you look at, I mean, literally yeah, anybody in that it's range. Tough because like, I, I, I do still think his floor. I'm not saying these guys play alike, but you know, someone like Matisse Thibel, where, like, a really good defensive player. Yeah. You never feel like his his offensive game gets fully developed. Like I think he's going to could stick in the league for his defense alone, regardless yeah. of what happens on the offensive side of the ball. And I I think you could even like make the Matisse argument Seibel a top 8 rotation player for the Thunder if he's on this No, team. he's no, absolutely not. And yeah. and, and they're, they're not similar players. But let's let's say Herb Jones. Like if you knew you could get Herb Jones at 12 back in his draft there would probably be a decent amount of teams that would take that. Sure. Absolutely. Even with his offensive limitations. And I know he shot well his rookie year, but like long-term, I do think people are worried about what he's going to be able to provide offensively. Yeah. And we've seen it in this playoffs where if you're a great defender, but you can't do a lot offensively, you might get played off the court. Like Jared Vanderbilt just wasn't able to play at a certain point yeah. because he wasn't able to bring enough offensively. And so even if and I he doesn't like, make decisions as an offensive player, he's just a play finisher only, you know. Right. So even if I like Bilal's defensive upside, I do worry you could get to a point where that defensive upside isn't just it, it, you're not going to get the advantage of it, of it in the playoffs because he could hurt you so much offensively. Yeah. Like no one is guarding him from 3 next year like at all. No. And and, and I just don't see the upside with his shot, like maybe if he was taking a much higher volume 
and and his shot volume just in general is super low. Yeah. Um, I, I was reading the scouting report from uh, Coach Spins. Mm-hmm. And he was comparing his like field goal attempts. It was either per 100 or whatever to like current guys in the NBA. And he's he has the offensive usage, or he has had the offensive usage of guys like Isaac Okoro. Yeah, yeah. Now that has changed in the recent this recent stretch in the playoffs. But again, again, you're shrinking it down to like these couple of games and trying to sell me on that. And I just get scared <laughs> from that. You're taking such a huge bet on such a small sample when it comes to his offensive game. Yeah, defense. I get it. On board. Yeah, there's a lot of concerning things about him to me and now Wimby thinks he should go top five I just think I think the hype is a little out of control right now that's that's all that's all that's I, all I, I just want say. people when they get super hyped to at least be willing to step back and say we really haven't seen anything like this where a guy is rising not because of like workouts or something he's rising because he's very fortunate to be playing meaningful games like right before the draft and to his credit he is doing awesome in those games, but it is still very unique where we would never do this with March madness. Like everyone kind of knows going in like, Oh, there's going to be guys who have huge tournaments and we're going to get way excited about them. But then all the hype's going to eventually come back down right yeah. now. It just feels like a hot air balloon and it's just going up into the stratosphere, Andrew. And no one's, no one's there. It's like pull on it a little bit and just like, Hey, can we just, we just bring it back down a little bit. Yeah. I feel like our basketball imaginations are just taking hold. For sure. And there's good reason because of the defensive thing, uh, like his athleticism, like there are reasons to get really excited. Yeah. He, yeah, he definitely has tools to be a super high level role player where he's just like the Swiss army knife of a defender could, if he can clean up the shot and if the shot can get faster, like those are like the two things that I worry about most, like clean it up, make it not like three different motions, but one fluid motion. If he could do that, because he's been attacking closeouts and all that during this run, I get it. He's been a lot better than he profiles as like a Mikhail Bridges type of guy. And if he could become that, then heck yeah, you take that at twelve. And, and if they do take him at twelve, I'll feel the same way as I would if they took Derek Lively at twelve, which is like they must believe in the shot. Like they, they must, must believe, believe in the shot. Yeah, they must believe they, in that him. They can fix it enough to make it functional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I am skeptical. That's where I'm at with him. Is I'm I'm skeptical. Also, just because I think there are good players left there that I think could help sooner and that still have upside. Obviously, Buffkin, who is playing, who, who's playing we, with with. Yeah, we haven't talked since the pictures came out of him and SGA and Chet sitting sitting down behind Buffkin. And Chet. I didn't see Chet in that picture. He's sitting down, hiding himself behind Kobe Buffett. Really? Yep. Hmm. So, hmm. just hmm. saying. Like, those... We got uh, we got Buffkin boys on the roster. Playing with the guard. That, that playing Chet, with the, I, I'm looking at the picture now. It does kind of worry me that Chet is able to hide himself so well. If behind any, a 6'4 guard that I didn't even notice him the first time. I, I would say he's 6'5". Next to, really? Look at him next to Shea. Um, let me see. Let me check this. Let me look at this again. I mean, he Yeah, had, but Shea, Shea's got a little bend in one of his knees. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to say 6'6", six, six, but... 
I think he's. Hmm. 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 Uh, that 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 got me excited. Definitely, I think Buff can yeah. be awesome. I think it'd be awesome if they come off the bench. I think that he could be a ball handler. He could play off ball. He likes to play defense. It's a lot of exciting things, and he has a pretty high floor. I think. Yeah, another guy where don't worry about the starting five. Like yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah. Just take him, and he can close some games or not. You know, he could probably be a guy that starts the second quarter has like your on-ball score and can he's a good passer, lefty, cool name. He's got a lot going for him. I don't think there's anything that's going to uh kind of break you off of this Buffkin obsession. I don't, I don't think, think so. He's I don't the, think anything can He's so well-rounded. I just think that wherever he goes he's going to help somebody. I kind of have doubts that the Thunder would take him, but Wherever he goes, I think he's going to help whatever team. Like, if he went to the Pelicans, like I think he'd help them quite a bit. Or if he somehow fell to the Lakers or the Heat or the Warriors, I think he's helping those teams. Yeah. I think there's probably a better chance he falls to those teams than it is that the Thunder take him at 12. But I just think having a guy that can do so many different things as an offensive player plus he does dig in on defense like yeah the only thing is just real skinny yeah that does that does uh worry me a bit but you know just because of you know size for position i mean they did draft tree man um so it's not like a hard and fast rule yeah, and there's and, and outside of Bilal, as far as far as like size for position, like who else are you taking there? I guess Leonard Miller would be. Oh, uh, Grady one. Dick, he's got size for position. Yeah, he's probably not going to fall to twelve. Uh, we'll see, Andrew. but he might. And I'm also not convinced um, that if he did fall to twelve, that he'd necessarily be the guy the Thunder would take. Yeah, I would actually be a little surprised if they did take Grady at twelve. Yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of size for position. I mean, I guess it'd be Lively, Leonard Miller, and who'd you say? Who's the other one? Lively, Leonard Miller, Grady Dick was the, oh, Grady was Dick, the other yeah. one. But, yeah, everyone else is kind of kind of small. Yeah, there's a lot of guards. There's a lot of combo guards in that range. Yeah. One, one of them's going to get buff. One of them. Buff. One. Ken. Buff Ken. Uh, City. No, City's not a lotto pick, but somebody that's interesting at 37. I'm hearing, I mean, the Thunder might be able to get Bilal at 12 and Rayon Rupert at 37. There's just, Rupert has kind of fallen down draft boards. So Yeah, if, if they got, I, I know, I've been surprised at uh, Sissoko. He has seemed to have been falling. Yeah. Like, when we started all this, he was kind of like in the early 20s. And now you see some where he's like down at 40. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if they, if they got him in that range, I would be excited. I mean, because who cares at that point? Yeah. Oklahoma City. What? Make the oh, shirts. Oh, okay. okay. Make the shirts. Oklahoma City, if they draft it's, it's almost too good. Yeah. That just saying it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't register because way. it's too good. <laughs> S-I-D-Y. Yeah. Oklahoma City, make the shirts. Just go ahead and print them. If he gets drafted at 37, go ahead and print them. You know uh, what? Print them now. Print them now. Just because it's because of the way it sounds and the way it reads. Have um, you read The Secret? Hmm? <laughs> you just put what you want out in the world? I haven't read it, but I, I think that's what it is. 
You just put you it out there. Just yeah, print, print, just print the Wimbenyama shirts. Print them now. This is why this is why people get uh, tattoos of like their team winning the championship before they actually win the championship. Yeah, it's quite quite foolish, <laughs> quite psycho <laughs> behavior to do something like that. Uh, okay, I was gonna do an exercise, but we can save it for next week. Just because we're already at <laughs> yeah, because we're already at an hour and fifteen hour minutes. twelve. So we'll save that for next. Yeah, week. before the draft, I would like to with Andrew. Do a, a my guys draft. Yeah. Where we're not necessarily drafting guys for the Thunder, but just guys in this draft that we believe in. And here's the extra thing, Andrew. We can't choose the same guys. So if you want someone, you have to go get them. Okay. We'll go back and forth. So be thinking of that. I think everybody, I think there are multiple listeners that could just step in and do that for me <laughs> and know exactly what I'm going to do. You know what's at, at, like we've talked about how much we, we we generally like like all of the guys mm-hmm. in this draft. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to find a prospect that you're completely out on for every team, but you know that there's going to be busts in the lottery. And I feel like oh, yeah. this year more than any other year, it's been really hard to identify like who I truly don't believe in at the top when yeah. you know there's going to be someone. Yeah, that's scary. There is. There's going to be somebody. Like maybe there's, there's probably going to be multiple guys in the top five. Cam Whitmore, who doesn't figure out the shooting. Maybe it's Amin Thompson, who's it like. could be Amin Thompson. Just doesn't ever work out. Um, well, I'm sure he'll work out, he Andrew. Fat. Just doesn't ever work <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Hood Scafino, somebody that could go in the lottery that I'm like kind of meh on. Uh, Keontae George, I'm very meh on. Um, you know, we'll see. It, the draft night, I think, is going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. Are you guys, are you guys doing a thing? We're going to do a thing. A we've party? we've got to we got to nail down all of that. I won't be there, but the other guys will be there for sure. Will you be at the draft? I'll be at the draft. Wait, are you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. cool. Is it in Brooklyn? It's in Brooklyn. Yep. So wow. we're going to be there. We're going to do... Is this your first draft? It's my first draft. Yeah. Nice, nice, yeah. nice. We're going to try to get some video on the streets with some fans pre-draft. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk to a lot of these guys. The Apparently, the media availabilities for uh, the draft are awesome. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Cool. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be great. My first experience at the draft, like actually being at the draft. So I hope you make it on the uh, the broadcast. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, I've oh always yeah, we want you to we want you to vomit, to throw up. I was going to say yeah. this is something that we've actually <laughs> talked about for a while. That if you get on the screen, that you just throw up. You just find a way to throw up, and you will be yeah. a legend forever. Legend. It would yeah, be everyone would love you. I mean, some a, a, a different kind of legend, but yeah, you would. I don't know if at this point it'd be something that I would definitely want to do. <laughs> it's like become the guy. I, I think it make. Up. I think it make you a star, Andrew. Just, I mean, you just you know the Thunder draft Bilal Kulabali, and then you get you go to me, and I'm just throwing up. I think it'd be pretty good. <laughs> it'd be really good theater. By the way. Sure. You, you didn't put our names up. I had a very special name for this episode. Uh, Al Kula Baby Cakes. Al Kula. Huh? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I don't know why. Oh, it does that because I don't want to have the names for the Friday podcast. And I left them out. There we go. <laughs> Might be my new handle name. 
<laughs> you should change Al it. Al Cooler Baby Cakes. Is it still Al Baisley Cakes? Because if that's true, no, you no, got to change it. Okay. I changed it back. All right, good. Had a good run, but had to change it back. Yeah. What's going to happen? You think Baisley gets a team? Uh, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Hope you guys have <laughs> a great, great day. We'll talk to you guys again on Friday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.